you can get 100% of the premium as a subsidy, basically a tax refund and not cost you with like any dollars out of pocket for the premium. Welcome to Fit Wealth You. I'm your host, Amanda Hankwist. I've spent years in the trenches of entrepreneurship, learning the ins and outs of financial success. Now I'm here to share with you the financial strategies of building your wealth. So subscribe now and stay tuned. May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You. All right, all right. Hey, everybody. So happy to have you all joining us today here with Sean. Hello, how's it going? Yes, love it. Well, I just had uh, eye surgery last week. So we are getting back into the groove of things. We didn't have a podcast last week. I think it was a little busy. Um, it was a little busy. We went from eye surgery on Monday to practicing presentation Tuesday, flew to Dallas Wednesday, gave our presentation Thursday, got home, went straight to football playoffs Friday. Yes. So it was a crazy week. And then Saturday, I was the biggest pile. I was so exhausted. <laughs> oh, but um, you saved the day though, because I was planning on us sticking around an extra day at the event that we were at yeah. and mingling a little bit. And you're like, nope, we got to fly back Thursday night. We can't run the risk of yep. not getting home on Friday and something happening with flight and missing our son's senior game, a, a playoff game. Um, like, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. Uh -huh. And, um, I was talking to, um, our, uh, my father-in-law and he was, um, looking at the, he flights works out the and, security. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, it was canceled. It did not come in. So we would not have gotten home. I don't know what we yeah. would have done. Like it would have been awful. So, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but if you're ever at risk, just plan a day ahead and get home because anything can happen. Right. If there's ever, I follow my intuition a lot, which is good. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah. But today so, it is, so as we're recording this, it is November 1st and November what 1st. Even, what does that mean? Like why November 1st? <laughs> November 1st is a big deal for health insurance. Oh. It is open enrollment for health insurance. There was really no great way to segue from missing a flight to <laughs> health insurance. So I just dove in. Oh, uh, what um, a horrible topic. Oh, health yeah. insurance. Well, yeah. I mean, I just had eye surgery and our son broke his arm earlier this uh, summer. Mm -hmm. And so obviously health insurance for some of you out there is a big deal. And so that we wanted to break that down for you guys today, why, uh, you know, open enrollment time is, is an important time and why health insurance can, or may, may or may not play a big impact in growing your long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we wanted to bring this to you today, uh, open enrollment from November 1st to December 31st and yeah, let's get rolling. Let's move. Yeah. And I guess I just want to preface that, like, we're not going to be that health insurance experts. We definitely know a lot about health insurance and we definitely have resources and referral partners that we can 
mention if you want to, if you have questions on health insurance, but this ha impacts your long-term wealth or could greatly impact your long-term wealth is a reason why we really want to talk about health insurance and why every single person needs it and kind of just walk through the scenarios of what could happen and what's possible and how it could damage your long-term wealth. Yep. Yep. So I actually used to sell health insurance back in the day when I had my insurance agency. But if uh, those of you that are probably over 30 years old, <laughs> uh, remember this thing that happened in 2012, 13-ish, I think it was. Um, it was before that, but that's kind of when we really saw the effects of this. Um, but Obamacare came in and it really kind of changed the way that health insurance uh, is in our nation. And after that point, it just got very, very complex and complicated. And if you weren't a specific health insurance professional, it got really difficult to keep up with everything. The manuals were huge and very uh, robust and big and a lot of things in there. So um, it is really important that you do seek out somebody that specializes in health insurance. Um, we know, I guess, enough to be dangerous because it's important for us to stay up to date on these things, but it's not our very first, um, I guess, thing of knowledge. But how can- Oh, wait a minute. Not... Guess what else has been hard to keep up with? What? The premium. <laughs> ah, ha, 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 ha. I think it went up like 20% in a year or something. Uh, oh, I mean, it's hundreds of percent higher in the last decade than it was before. Yeah. It's but the inflation on health insurance. year alone has been. I just saw information that came across my desk of health insurance increase. Pretty much across the board was like 18% that we we're seeing. I checked with another group plan and they had an 18% increase. So, um, yeah, we just did a we just did a talk on economic inflation, and this blows economic inflation out of the water. Health insurance yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, historically, just for context, historically inflation has been about two and a half percent. You know, recently, the last three years, it's been a lot higher than that. But health insurance, you know, at a seventeen percent um, increase, gosh. Pull out the, the rule 72, babe. Ah, I don't know <laughs> if you even want to know this. <laughs> that means that health insurance, if I kept that up, it would double again in four years. Yeah. A lot of people like, was it two, three years ago, even when I was, I was looking back on um, some tax returns and some things we were looking at that we were paying what, 23, 2,500 a month. Yep. And that was like three years ago. So just think if that kept up four more years from now, we'd be paying $5,000 a month for our health insurance premium. Yeah. That's insane. Now, now, what a lot of us out here, a lot of you are probably thinking like, why not just self-insure? Yeah. Right. Like if it's that expensive, why not just self-insure? And, and I hear you, but let's take a, let's, so let's talk about let what not having health insurance can, um, how that can impact us, right? Because that's clearly why we're talking about this because medical expenses, right? As we just talked earlier, we had a teenager that was playing football and had evidently like one of the worst injuries that a person could have to their wrist hand area. Um, if any of you, I guess, physique people out there. It was called a perilunate dislocation was the name of it. 
Well, we had received one bill from one facility that was $67,000. And now why I just say one is because if you all know how this works, there's an anesthesiologist, there's a medical provider, there's the facility, which was the $67,000 bill, there's physical therapy, there's so many ongoing um, things with this. And so 67,000 was just one. So I, the way I look at it is health insurance is expensive, but if you have a family, you're just one incident away from a bankruptcy or a life altering mm -hmm. medical size of a medical expense. So just put in perspective, I guess. And I just, a light bulb went off. That was his wrist. We're talking about right. that was right. a long ways from his heart <laughs> or his head. Like <laughs> What right. if like a major car accident, a major operation, we're just talking about a wrist surgery. I mean, I know well, it was a terrible break, but come on. But in the same year, Sean, I have just had eye surgery, right? And this is luckily we're in the same calendar year, mm -hmm. but what if we didn't have health insurance for all of those expenses that are happening? So I, you can see how the costs can just start to add up. You've got doctor's visits, you've got medication, you've got hospital stays, even routine medical expenses can add up really quickly. Right. Um, and so let's talk about, I guess, emergency costs, because this was kind of an emergency thing. And we just got mm -hmm. done uh, giving a talk about how important it is to have emergency reserves. Now, you can't expect to have those kinds of dollars just sitting around. I think some people probably do, but we we talk about having three to six months of bills saved up for emergency right. reserves. That is so difficult to prepare for. Um, but like I said, you're just one event from something like that happening. Now, you don't want to live in this this uh, world of being afraid or constant anxiety, but it is important to be prepared. Yeah. And living paycheck to paycheck, I, and I'll probably butcher this, but I think it's like 60% of the Americans don't have, is it 500 or a thousand dollars in savings? Yeah, I think it's a thousand dollars. They don't have a thousand dollars in savings. And I, I think it's actually 800 and something is what yeah. the actual number is. So it's in between that, but look, but you yeah, becoming a financial geek. Look at that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah. per perspective, like most Americans don't have an emergency reserve. So yep. maybe maybe you could talk about some ways that we could build up emergency reserves. And you know, and I I really think it comes down to having guardrails in place. So yeah. it's just when you have okay, so it's it's kind of like I was shopping with my little sister at the outlet malls. So we live in the middle of Nebraska, we don't get out much, but hear me out. So we're at the outlet malls and we're shopping and we both take a look at our credit card statements. We both have these shoes. We're getting ready to run a half a marathon. We're like, I want some new shoes. We both look at our credit card statements as we're standing there in the shoe store. And we're like, you know, I probably better not have the shoes, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you have a name to your money, when you know what it's going to be spoken for, you're less likely to make those silly mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like if I hadn't have pulled up my credit card on my phone and realized eh, it's getting a little high this month, I would have just bought the shoes yeah. without thinking about it. Yeah. But because I, I saw that, I saw, you know, oh, you know, I'm almost over the limit because I give myself sort of a monthly limit. I'm almost over that. So we better hold off. That's 
but that's a really cool way of budgeting. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's awesome because I think everybody hates the word budget. Yeah. Especially and me. <laughs> I, and I hate it and I don't budget, but I like to look at of paying ourselves first. So mm-hmm. if you pay to your emergency reserves every month and whatever percentage makes sense to you, like for us, it, we like to go 20%. So whatever comes in, 20% of that goes to a savings account first before it hits our main checking account. And then as long as you don't go over on your credit card, like Amanda puts that guardrail in place, that ensures that you're not overspending and you're putting a certain amount of money for your financial future away first. And then yeah. after that, it doesn't really matter where you spend your money. So that then we're kind of two pretty cool ways that you can actually start accumulating some emergency reserves if you don't have it built up yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that helps you um, kind of keep yourself in check. I mean, it's kind of like when, um, let's say if you are a nutrition coach, for example, and you're working with somebody that, let's say just went absolute ham on the Halloween candy. Yesterday was Halloween, as we're talking here. Um, you know, you're probably going to say something like, it's okay, let's just get back on plan, let's move on. Instead, your client might have the mentality of let's just slash all the freaking tires. We already mm. have one flat. Let's just slash the rest, right? I've already completely screwed up. Well, of course, you're going to talk your client out of that behavior, right? We're going to try to have these behaviors to keep ourselves in line because it's always about being consistently good and not occasionally great, mm. right? And so having guardrails in place to allow yourself to be consistently good is very important. We talk a lot about having, you know, operations where your money comes in and out of. We talk a lot about having a checking and having um or a two different savings for taxes, for um profits, that kind of thing when we're talking to business owners. But your money is no different. When you have your emergency reserves set aside, you have that kind of guardrail or that name checked off of your list, right? And then I like to use kind of my credit card approach where I like to set a limit for myself. I know when the statement date processes. So I know when that starts over, that just kind of helps me keep myself in Mm -hmm. check. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the, we talked about how brutal the premium is. We also talked about how brutal it could be if you don't have health insurance. We're talking way North of six figures for our household this year alone. Yep. Now, with the deductibles, we calculated um, our max out of pocket for Hunter was going to be 9,100. Yep. And your surgery and your out of pocket will be a different number um, until we get, was it 17,000 max for the family? For the whole family. Yep. Yeah. I don't care if our premium is $30,000 a year. Maybe it's it's a little bit more than that now, but if you add in an extra ten, fifteen thousand, yeah, forty thousand dollars is probably more than my parents made um, when I was growing up combined, right? Like, right, that's insane. And now that's just <laughs> yeah. in, that's just, that's just health, health insurance. insurance, right? But what is the alternative? Like, we're talking one wrist surgery over a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I think you have to hedge against that all day long and sh- and ensure your financial future for the catastrophe. Like, I'm not saying you have to buy the A++ plan with 
the most expensive of the least deductibles. I definitely believe in self-insuring, but I kind of want to know what our max risk is. So, so when I think of health or self-insuring, I like to put it more on the lines of let's buy maybe a lesser expensive plan that maybe has some HSA savings to it mm -hmm. that maybe has a higher deductible for a lower premium in exchange. And it just kind of depends on your family situation, but when you, it's kind of like auto insurance too. So I used to sell uh, auto insurance and you'd have uh, people that wanted to save on their monthly premium. Well, have a higher deductible instead of having the $250 deductible and every little scratch and nick you're going to file a claim on, you're mm -hmm. going to wait and file that claim on something massive, mm -hmm. well over a thousand dollars. And so why not have a cheaper month to month payment in exchange for if that one thing does happen, right? It might cost you more then, but you've saved all the other months of the year. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think, a better way of self-insuring. Yep. And instead of the unknown, I mean, we we definitely have clients, and I have a client that you know has you know, over a million dollars in liquid cash, right? That doesn't have health insurance. And, you know, I explained just one wrist surgery that my kid's going through that would have ate out her money. And at the end of the day, she still would have been fine. But what if it was a $500,000 medical bill? Yeah. I mean, you just hate for see all that hard work to go down the drain. And that's fortunate enough that she has the money. Most people don't have a million dollars in, in liquidity to pay a medical bill. And, you know, then maybe you're going to be forced into medical bankruptcy. So yeah. ensuring to a point of maybe maxing out the deductible um, or the higher deductible to try to get the premium down. I definitely like your approach there. And yeah. then, and then you mentioned the HSA. I mean, that's beautiful. If your plan allows it, you'll never get a triple tax-free account. You ever heard the triple tax-free <laughs> yes, Sean, why don't you explain <laughs> the triple tax free? I don't know of anything else. So you got a tax break going in, right? You got a tax break going in. The dang thing grows tax free. And then you take the thing out tax free. So many tax free. Beautiful, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Just food for thought there. The HSA yeah. can be a beautiful account, and especially, and there's some uh, ways you can use it to maximize it long term. Um, because yeah. it's not, uh, uh, use it or forget it. Like, it's not like you have to use it type of account. You can keep money in the HSA for 10, 20, 30 years and let it grow tax-free and then utilize and take the money out down the road, which, um, I love growing tax-free and then taking it out tax-free. Right. Yeah. That's got a lot of benefits there, especially too, because a lot of times the HSA qualifying, um, plans, are the higher deductible and the mm -hmm. lower cost. Um, now you want to make sure when you are, again, we're not the health insurance professionals here. We know enough to be dangerous, but when you are choosing, so like right now, for example, is open enrollment. Um, so you'd want to take a look, is this plan that you're selecting uh, HSA qualified? And it will tell mm -hmm. you on that plan, whether or not it's HSA qualified, because right. you can't just get any old plan right. and then have this HSA going along with it. It has to be a qualifying plan. Right. So just some high level, if you'd go in the exchange, basically the marketplace insurance, and you're able to keep your income down, it's a beautiful thing where 
if you are able to have your income low enough, and I'm not going to shoot out numbers because they've changed and I don't have the exact numbers, but let's say your income's low enough, you can get 100% of the premium as a subsidy, basically a tax refund and not cost you with like any dollars out of pocket for the premium. Now you'd be on your own for the deductibles and the co-pays and that stuff, but just note if you're able to maybe take some losses or be able to keep your income low this year, the, the health market exchange might be a great place for you and get a subsidy and not pay any of the premiums. Well, and that's the beauty of tax planning and working with a, a financial planner is because yeah. you can take that approach when let's say that you have a younger family where you have multiple kids and health insurance is a really big expense and a really important um, yeah. thing for you. Maybe when you're older and maybe you don't have pre-existing health conditions or maybe you're younger and you're single and it's not mm -hmm. that big of a deal. Uh, but when you're kind of in that, that sweet spot of kids and they're expensive yeah. and you got a lot and, and you might want to, you know, work with a financial planner to show a reduced income year, on a year by year basis. Wow. You kind of drove that home right there because I just had a conversation with a client earlier about how we're talking about tax planning and how next year they're able to take some losses and he's yep. going to go on the exchange because we can get all the money as a subsidy and not pay any health insurance premiums. Yeah. So he's and coming off his regular plan going on the exchange next year because of business losses. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've done that. I've had some large acquisitions mm -hmm. in the past where we've had to get creative with tax planning. And then we were on our own for health insurance because I wasn't with the the previous uh, place where yep. I was, you know, getting it anymore. So we've definitely had to get uh, creative year by year. Um, and I think if you think of it as a lifetime situation, it can be overwhelming and daunting. So I think if you break it down like year by year, it gets a little bit, I guess, easier to swallow. Yeah. Um, so that's why I love tax planning. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we do for our clients. Like I said, we're not going to sell you the health insurance, but we can talk about what's going to be best for you next year. And then um, I'll probably end or close on this. If you are healthy and you're going to be over the income thresholds uh, for getting the subsidy, you would be better off looking off the exchange just for an individual policy, because typically you're going to have cheaper premiums. Yeah. And it's going to be probably a better policy too. Yes. So that's the beauty of not having pre-existing health conditions is you can get a nice policy. You can also do some of like the health share mm -hmm. um, type of organizations. A lot of times they're like Christian based yes. or uh, things along those lines. There's a lot of options out there, especially if you are, um, you know, you don't have pre-existing health conditions to where you can't qualify. Um, there's a lot of, of great options out there that can help you save money that are probably better plans than what you can get on the exchange. But um, the nice thing is you do have that exchange available for those that are in that type of situation. I love it. All right. Well, we are going to end on that note. Um, you know, we, again, think it's best to self-insure, however, have the health insurance, pay a higher deductible for exchange of a lower premium. Health savings is can be a huge uh, triple uh, tax benefit, and you know this is all going to be helpful for you to be able to grow your wealth. The other thing is tax planning is essential, especially on a year by year basis, to determine 
Can you go on the exchange? Can you, um, you know, pay less of a premium by making your income look lower that year, yeah. year by year? So um, again, feel free to reach out if you guys have questions. Like I said, we're not the health insurance professionals. However, when it comes to financial planning for your long-term wealth, um, when it comes to, you know, a year by year tax uh, strategy basis, we're uh, who you want to talk to. So thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out fitwealthadvisors.com. Join me as I talk with Dr. Morgan Tyler Francis about relationship with food for longevity. With it being almost holiday time, it's a great time to talk about dieting and disordered eating habits as we grow older. Why do we have them? What can we do to cope? Especially when we're feeling pressured socially at family or work gatherings. Let's welcome Dr. Morgan Tyler Francis to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So I'm just curious about, you know, your your background. Um, what led you down this path of because it's it's in a way that the road less traveled, right? Like you don't hear a lot of people talking about this side of nutrition. It's all look like me before and after and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And you're really paving a new way. What um, compelled you to go down this journey? So I've been a clinical psychologist for 20 years in a group practice and then in a, my own private practice that I now um, run. And um, I've always had an interest in body image um, because I've noticed it just affects so many areas of our life, um, men and women in different ways. And, um, now I primarily focus on eating disorders or disordered eating. And what I've seen is that the constant theme is that everyone struggles with the way that they think they look. So body image by definition is our, um, our cognitions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our attitudes, our feelings, our behavior towards our appearance, all the way from the top of our head down to our toes. Yeah. And it, it can shift. It's subjective. So how I view myself and how you view me can be totally different, two different views. And so there's a lot of, um, uh, interpretations around our body image based on, you know, what we're going through, um, how our bodies are going to change. And so society doesn't, doesn't help us with that. It actually puts us in a container and says, okay, you need to look like this, um, beauty ideal. And if we don't meet those expectations, then we make ourselves out to feel like failures. I mean, it's the ultimate gaslighter. So, what personally got me involved is that I had suffered from an eating disorder starting when I was in my teenage years and lingered out throughout my college years. And I went into therapy. Um, and when my weight was restored, um, I still then struggled with my body image. Um, even though I was meeting all the medical criteria to not be the diagnosis for a particular eating disorder, um, I still didn't like the way I looked. And I remember, you know, this is when the internet was kind of newer. And I remember being on the internet and coming across um, some therapist and she was like, you can, you can be happy with the body that you have. And I was like, no, I can't. Um, I can't be happy until I look like her or I've this size jeans, or I've lost the weight. It was always not until right. If, and then, um, and so it really just, it just was radical for me to think that I could really be happy within my body just as it is regardless of its shape and size and so i really started to focus on um, body respect and body appreciation really working towards body neutrality and it just made a lot of sense and it made more sense to me 
as I became a mom and not wanting to continue to pass down the messages um, that I grew up with um, to my children. Um, and so it just became something I was just really passionate about. And I just been speaking about it ever since. That is, um, that's so interesting because, you know, who hasn't had some kind of issue with their body at some point in their lives, right? And I think if somebody says, not me, they're probably lying, right? So I think it's probably affected the majority of us. I'm especially interested because we are in the wealth space, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in longevity. And mm-hmm. so we we help individuals, high income earners build wealth for generations, But what is the point of that if we have bodies that we can't enjoy that with, right? So let's say that we've spent, you know, all of these years accumulating our wealth and then we retire and we have these bodies that we're literally stuck in. Point that really kind of struck me when I was kind of going through some of your social media is the one that said, are you going to be doing this until you're 70? Right. And, and I'm that kind of correlated with me because I'm like, okay, we're approaching the holidays we're talking about how binge eating is obviously not a sustainable way of life. Are we really going to be doing this until our seventies? Mm-hmm. So let's go there. Like number one, where does binge eating stem from? And then number two, how do we combat this around holiday time so that mm-hmm. it doesn't turn into this annual cycle every year, right? Yeah. All the way to our retirement years. Absolutely. So uh, with research, binge eating um, is developed by two things, one restriction and two emotional dysregulation. So if we do not allow ourselves to have like sugar, right, then we're most likely going to binge on sugar. So I, I get asked often, what's the most addictive food? And the most addictive food is the one you tell yourself you can't have, Yeah. It, you know, so whatever it is, if it's peanut butter, if it's pizza, um, chips, you know, that's the one you're going to binge on because the brain wants to have what it's depleted of, right? If we're thirsty, we want to drink water. So, you know, our, our bodies are trying to always inform us that we need something. And then the problem is, is that we tell it no, and we keep telling it no, we keep telling no, we keep telling no, well, that's restriction. And so the moment that our brain says, oh my gosh, there's sugar, it's just going to completely go nuts because it doesn't know when it's going to get it again. So for Halloween candy or, you know, sugar in general, what I often encourage my patients is make it available year round. Yeah. Right. Right. Have it in the house. I mean, it's a, it's truly amazing to me. I grew up in a home where like my pantry was the healthiest pantry. You know, we had pretzels, not chips, you know, we had, you know, fat free granola bars, not like the good ones with like that tasted really good, you know, like the Snickers Um, kind basically. Yeah, exactly. And so when I would go to my friend's houses, um, I would just be eating in their pantry because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, this is so much fun for me. Cause I don't know when I'm going to get this again. Right. Um, and I now as a mom, I mean, yes, of course I have those nutritional, I'm using air quotes foods. And then I also have the foods that are just fun foods. Right. And so it's so normalized and my kids are like, sometimes they want dessert. Sometimes they don't want dessert. It's not a thing. I mean, I have Halloween candy all in my pantry. They, they haven't asked about it. They're just like, okay, when, whenever we'll get it. Like, it's just, it's, it's so mind blowing to me because when we make foods, when we take away their power and we normalize it, we see the cravings go down. And this is, this isn't just my household. This is research. Um, and then with emotional dysregulation, I also, I tell my clients, Hey, it's totally normal. If you had a bad day and you just want to eat something that tastes good and is comforting, 
give yourself that, right? Yeah. Like we don't shame ourselves for sitting there on the couch and watching a Netflix show, right? Like that's, I mean, it's the same thing. We're just kind of numbing out. We're just kind of just escaping into, into whatever we're being entertained with. But if we do that with food, it's like, oh, you're an, you're an emotional eater. Well, of course we are emotional eaters. We're emotional beings, right? Why would we be? The first thing that we get is milk and how are we giving it? We are giving it when we're held and we're coddled and we're loved and oxytocin is flowing through our bodies. You know, it's food is an emotional experience. So to think of it as only being fuel is missing the mark. And if we allow it to be celebrated, if we allow it to be used as comfort when someone's lost a a loved one, if we use it around the holidays, um, celebrate birthdays, um, you know, have candy, then it it makes it again, it loses its, its power. It's like the luster of it. Um, and so, yeah, I do think it's important. And, And then the question is, well, if I have candy in the house, I won't stop. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Cause you get to what's called habituation and habituation is always something that is created with any mile marker, you know, it, 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 it's a behavioral response. So the more that we allow it to be, the more consistent it is, the less we want it. And therefore it's just habitual. It's just in the house. It's not something that creates this deficit where it's like, oh, I don't know when I'm going to have it again. Yeah. And so, yeah, you might eat 12 Oreos. Okay. You're not going to die. And right. no one's getting fat by eating 12 Oreos, right? I mean, that's the whole other piece. Like, I'm going to get fat. No, you're not. You're going to eat 12 Oreos and probably not feel good and feel like that was stupid. I and don't want to want them again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I want them again. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's so interesting because we're sort of known as the healthy family in the area and people are so, um, surprised to see that we have Cheez-Its and fruit snacks and, you know, the regular food in our house. And it's like, we, we do normalize it in our house, Does but our kids aren't going to go and eat, you know, four bags of chips in one setting because it is there, but you know, we do talk about the importance of pour a serving in a bowl. So you know how much that you're having because endlessly eating out of a bag is not ideal either. But yeah. So what we talk about for, cause the word healthy gets used around a lot. And I just, yeah. I really don't like the word, but since it's used, I really try to inform my patients. Let's look at health as two things, volume and variety, mm. right? So is, are we in a variety of foods, right? We can't, you know, like, unfortunately I, you know, we talked a moment ago about our seven-year-olds, like my seven-year-old, I mean, he lives on dino nuggets. I mean, that's yeah. like his jam. Oh you know, yeah. We, we love dino nuggets in our yeah. house. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, can we get like a variety? Can we try a different brand of chicken nuggets? You know, right. like, and maybe, maybe a hot dog like, today. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything, right? So, um, so helping them to have variety and then having enough like volume or paying attention to, is it too much volume? Yep. Right. Like, what is your stomach saying? Like, are you full? Yep. Right. Like, are you satisfied? And I use the word satisfied quite often in my home. Are you satisfied with the amount that you ate? Or are, is there still part of you that is not as satisfied? It could probably make room for more food. What, right, what, what is right. body so it's really helping them to engage in those fullness cues and the hunger cues. I really follow the 10 principles of uh, intuitive eating. It's worked for me. We know it works for people. So that's typically the principles that I tend to use the most. So let's talk about um, later in life. So say you have a patient that is 40, 50 years old and they are, just still struggling. They just think that they either need to track food the rest of their lives, or they are going to have to be on a quote unquote diet forever. You know, where do you go with helping 
older generations, I guess, learn new habits, learn healthier habits and, and don't get to these, you know, singular times of year of, oh my gosh, I'm going to eat half the cake today instead of, you know, taking these small steps to being able to fit these little things into their lives. Because I'm sure if you've learned diets from our parents and it's just a generational thing, that's going to be hard to retrain or hard to reset. Like, where do you start with that? The great question. So what I noticed when I was really struggling is the amount of mental tension and energy it was taking up in my life. I, all I thought about was food Yeah, and it is, what am I going to eat and how am I going to get rid of it? I mean, it was, everything had to be weighed, measured, documented, like in a journal or it just, it was so consuming and yeah. there wasn't time for me to be creative. There wasn't time for me to be investing. There wasn't time for me to be really taking care of myself and or others. There wasn't time for me to have fun and pleasure because I was so obsessive about, you know, again, all the like, all, you know, counting. I mean, it was just constant counting and, and doing the math in my head. Um, and so really for a lot of my clients, it's not about learning more. It's about unlearning. Mm, yeah. And, trusting themselves because the trust has been ruptured. So I trust a, a meal plan that's been prescribed to me by some, I don't know, wellness person. And they're telling me what my body needs instead of yeah. me honoring what my body needs. Like I don't go to somebody to tell me when to go to the bathroom. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> like I listen to yeah. my body, to know when I have to go to the bathroom and I honor that by going to the bathroom. Right. So I understand how complicated it can be because we, when we've been dieting or, or our chronic dieters and we're in our forties, fifties, or maybe, you know, older, we don't trust ourselves. So the main, yeah. one of the main principles of having a healthy body image is body trust. It's learning to honor and respect what my body's telling me. So it's really no different. Again, if, if I have to go to the bathroom, I'm not going to say, oh, right now is not a good time. It's not actually time for you to go to the bathroom. You've right. got to wait two more hours because you're in your fasting window and that's not the right time to go to the bathroom. No, mm -hmm. I would be in pain. I would be incredibly discomfort. Right. Or so I need to give myself permission and it's really about giving yourself permission. And I think what I have found, um, our generation and many generations of women, we've been raised to be pleasers, mm. right. Pleasing to the eye, pleasing, you know, to well, the way we talk, you know, we, we constantly are giving and, 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 you know, making sure we do more for others and for ourselves. And so that's also a piece of it too, is really getting to know who you are. Um, and creating your own identity aside from your appearance. Yeah. Because you like, honestly, I mean, the least interesting thing about me is the way I look. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be remembered for, you know, being blonde and blue eyes and white and, and whatever size I wear. I want to be remembered for my intelligence. I want to be remembered for my kindness and my integrity and my faith and my morals and my values and my, you know, that you talked about wealth management, like that's the wealth. Yeah. The wealth is not in the size of my pants. The wealth is in what I'm able to do and how I'm able to serve others. So it's really about truly falling in love with your life. And so I would really work on helping that person develop hobbies and interest activities outside of, you know, their meal planning, right. um, or their workouts, not that those are bad things, but when they become that the priority right. and they take over the other things in your life and you're too afraid to go on vacation because you don't know what kind of food you're going to have at the resort. Mm. or you don't, you're nervous to go out to eat to dinner because you haven't looked at the menu yet. That's a problem. Yeah. 
So it's, it's really, it's, it's multifaceted, but it's, it's helping that person develop more of who they are and less focus on what they look like. Yeah. And then you're taking the power away from the food that is literally taking over your life over to your confidence, your, you know, inner being all the other things that are so valuable and so important. Yeah. I think too, a lot of us, you know, when we are actively like dieting, it gives us a sense of control, Mm. like, but it's really a false sense of control. Like I'm really not in control. That's why I'm doing the diet. If I was in control, I wouldn't actually need the diet. Right. So, but it's like a way for, I think a lot of times if we're looking at women to make them think that they have a sense of control, like I have to stay in this window, God forbid I go outside of it. Right. So what does that look like? And so working with where's that sense of control and when did you feel out of control and what made you feel out of control? And let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with for them to experience the longevity, the peace that they're looking for in their life. So they don't have to continue to carry this this with them forever. Yeah. I mean, I would honestly just say to give yourself some compassion. I mean, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit and I think we're really hard on ourselves and we expect such perfection. And I think that if we're able to be compassionate and patient with ourselves and know that, Hey, it's okay. Like you having, I don't know, a Hershey's bar is not going to be the end of the world. You're not hurting your body. You're not damaging your body. Your body probably needs it and it's going to be all okay. Um, I think there's just this, this really, these very like all or nothing thinking when it comes to holidays and food. And I've got to be really, really good. And I've got to make sure I get to the gym and I, you know, I'm, always, you know, make, you know, eating light and salad, 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 or, you know, like stay away from the carbs. Um, it's just, it's so obsessive and there's way, way, way much more bigger things happening that we can still be healthy, right? We, and again, variety and volume, you, you can still be healthy. And like, my biggest thing I always tell people is like, you're, appearance tells me nothing about your medical health. Like even at my thinnest and everyone's giving me compliments is when I have my eating disorder. Show me, show me your lab work. Show me, post that. And if that's improved, awesome. Fantastic. You know, for, you know, for me, and I'm sure like for many of maybe you and other listeners, like, you know, I just want to be able to hold a good solid plank. Like, let me, let me develop that core strength. I know I can, if I can last a minute, I mean, that's amazing, you know? Or I can lift strong, you know, dumbbells, or if I can, you know, finish my spin class really well, you know, like, or want to go run around with my kids instead of sit on the couch and watch another series of Netflix. Exactly. Like engage and be with our families. That's longevity. It's the connection. It's the interaction. It's the, it's the ability to have those relationships. And and we miss out on those when we are obsessive and, and constantly counting and thinking about our food and our weight. And it, and it really is. It's, I say diet culture, it's the life thief. It yeah. takes away, robs us of our joy. A hundred percent. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. This was so enlightening. I am going to link your information in here so people can give you a follow because what you are talking about needs to be talked about more. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to Fit Wealth You. Don't miss out on the opportunity to make your financial dreams a reality. Join us every week for actionable insight that could transform your wealth and your life. 
May you build your wealth empire and stay fit too. This is Fit Wealth You.